God is good. God. God is good. And all the time, He's good right now. Amen. I tell you, this morning it was kind of one of those um, uh, situations where we had left. Have you ever had like a aha moment? It's like a light bulb moment. It's like wow. The moment you realize you're a big family is when half them, you, there's four of you going to church this morning, and you think there's five people still left at home. It's like, wow, we probably are a big family, you know. <laughs> and so it's kind of one of those days we've kind of, you know, there's stuff going around. It seems like everywhere, everywhere you turn around, someone says, oh, I'm sick. But, you know, um, even in sickness, God still remains good. And we're going to conquer this sickness. I want us to go back to the Word of God this morning. We're going to continue on uh, with our series, the Go series. And today's um, message is going to be as, called As You Go. Say, as you go. as you go. The next verse, I want you to help me to read it together. And then we'll go to watch, uh, some things to read. So the next one. Oh, that's interesting there. Okay. As, could you get? Um, uh, all right. There we go. Can we, can we read this together? And as you go... Preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I mean, heal the sick. That was like, boy, we need some healing in our house. How many need healing this morning? Amen. God can touch you even today. Now, I want to read a story. The reason I read that verse, it's a passage in the Bible where Jesus, before he tells them to go, he gets his 12 disciples and he gives them, he says, I, he gives them authority over many different kinds of things. He says, I'll give you authority to heal the sick, give you authority over demon, demonic spirit, whatever you go. And he transfers authority to his disciples. And then he sends them to go out into communities that Jesus was already planning to go to. In other words, he's going, he's sending them to prepare a way for him. And he goes and tells them, you go in twos, go, go in pairs, and go preach the gospel to all these villages and all these places. And then I'm going to come later and minister to those communities. Okay? So Jesus is talking to his 12. Gives them instruction. Gives them power and authority to be able to do stuff that Jesus only, at that point, only Jesus could do. Now, the reason um, I'm bringing this story is because Matthew writes about this and Luke writes about this. But then later on, which we're about to read in Luke, there's a very similar story. That if you read it really fast, you'd think you read the same one. But in this case, where we're going to read in Luke, in fact, if you, I have it up on the board, but if you have your Bible and you like your version, okay, I want us to read out of Luke. Um, wait a minute for name and verse. Uh, okay. I'm going to go for my backup. <laughs> I have a backup plan. I tell you, technology works great when you don't need it. <laughs> I'm going for my backup here. All right. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to skip a few verses there. But um, this story now, I, w- I want you to see, the story is very similar. In fact, the instructions, he tells them what to expect as they go, what, to, what they will see happen through their hands, but also how people will respond and how to act 
how to act when people respond differently, when they receive them, when they reject them. And he addresses some of those regular day things. And then he addresses about, okay, what happens if you need food when you're out there? What happens? He addresses all the issues of life. But then you come to Luke chapter 10, and he talks to another group of disciples, not the 12, but he appoints new ones. And he gives them the same instruction. That's what we're going to read this morning, okay? So Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says, And the Lord... The Lord now chose 70 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to the towns and places he planned to visit. These were the instructions, uh, uh, these were his instructions to them. He says that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray that the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into the fields. Don't take any money with you or traveler's bags, or or extra pairs of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. And if they are not, the blessing will return to you. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 16. Because it does go on to talk about what would happen. The next verse is going to talk about what would happen to those people that would reject the message and how it would be. Okay, so we go down to verse 16. Then it says, then the disciples... Um, uh, said to, uh, then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects your message is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is reject, rejecting God who sent me. So then he went, when the 70 disciples returned, they, joyful, they, they joyfully reported to him. They said, Lord, even demons obey us when we use your name. And Jesus says, yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk over snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Sometimes people think, look at us like, man, I know some snakes and scorpions and it's not Satan. I walk with them. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke, a bad joke indeed. But rejoice, but rejoice, but don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. Some translations say. I thought it's very interesting. And you could read the, both accounts. Don't have time to go over it. That's why you have your Bible. You could go read it for yourself. But uh, both Matthew and, uh, and Luke write these both instances. And line by line, it seems very, very similar. Just a, a few variations. But it goes over the same few things uh, that Jesus goes over. I want to point, highlight a couple of things that's going on here. For one, there is an authority that God has given his believers. Look at the person next to you. If you're a believer, tell them you've got authority. And I think, I, 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 I'm looking at the same passages. I'm thinking, okay, why didn't you just send them all at the same time? Why did the Lord send 12 and then came back and brought more disciples that were not regulars. Because when we ask, oh, how many disciples did Jesus have? Everybody says, how many? But you know, that isn't really quite accurate, isn't it? Because if you read the gospel, you'll realize that he had more than 12. He had multitudes who followed him. In fact, it says everywhere that Jesus went, multitudes followed him. He had 500 disciples that he talked to at one point after the resurrection. He had different numbers of them. Now, those 12 who are closest to him, they're the ones that became the apostles and the big founders of the, of the church and the movement, okay? But he had other disciples. 
I think the Lord wanted to prove to us that the ministry and the authority and the commission to go and preach the gospel was not just a select few, the twelve. That that, what he expected of the twelve, he also expected of the seventy, he also expected of the five hundred, he also expected of the multitudes who decided to pick up their cross and follow Christ. So if you are a believer and you're following Christ, the authority is for you also. But with the authority also comes the commission. Okay? Now, there's something that's really exciting. And I, I, I wish I could, I could, I could, I could uh, expound on it more. But there is a consistency in the scripture. Now we all believe that there is an authority on, on, on all believers. That Jesus says that the works that I do, you will do also. Greater works even that I did, you would do. God, Jesus says, he puts no limits on us. He didn't hold back. He gave us all authority. In fact, he tells his disciples, all authority, this is about the great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I give it to you. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, there is a consistency that you will see throughout the scripture. Why is it that we don't see all the signs, all the things that God promised to be done through the hands of believers and through the hands of the apostles? We see him, but not all the time. I think there's a disconnect that we've overlooked for a long time. Because God's heart is for the lost soul. It is, God's, it is not God's will that anyone shall perish. In fact, he says that it is his will that all may come to the knowledge of the Son of God. And so, whenever you see the authority, whenever you see the power manifestation, there's always a reason attached to it. Now think about this. The Great Commission says that, if I, I, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And it says, when you do this, when you do this, when you're on the go, I will be with you always till the end. Then the one we read earlier. He says, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near you. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely. You have received freely also give. Now think about this. Those promises were attached to the going. Their commission was to go, but the signs was to follow. So sometimes we want God to do miracles. We want God to heal. We want God to do some stuff that we see and believe our promises. But our focus isn't on the lost soul because God's focus is on the lost soul. Our focus is on us. But yet he says that as we do, he is with us. So he goes, as you go, these are some of the things that you are to expect. I want to share a few thoughts that I see, just some highlights on the passages. I didn't read the other one. One is that all of the authorities for all believers. Okay. Secondly, miracles and wonders are manifestation of this gospel being preached. I was like sometimes meeting Christians saying, well, I preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. I think that's a quote from the book of Hesitation. 
and found that book here. He says, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Solo, isn't it better? Aren't my actions better than my words? Yes, they are. Action speaks better than the words. Do we all agree? But if my actions are consistent with my words, doesn't mean that you don't say nothing. And that is not proper English. I just used it anyway. It sounds better. Why are the words so important? Okay. The words... The Bible says that life and death are at the power of the tongue. With your words, you can encourage somebody. You can, you, can, you can tell somebody you love them. You can bring somebody up that's really low. You can come into a situation that seems hopeless, and you can bring hope with your words. You can speak kindness. You can bring life with your words. The same words can be used to destroy, to demean people, to put them down. So there is a lot of power and wealth indebted in our words. But even more so for us who are saved and those that know Christ, when we speak the words of Christ, we speak the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If our own words are powerful to the degree that they can motivate people to do good, encourage people to succeed, encourage people to do wonders, kids that don't have a dream, that can be, and when you tell them, I believe in you, it can motivate people. If our own words are powerful enough to cause the direction of people's lives, good or bad alike, how much more powerful when we speak God's words in our mouth? So we become a conduit, we become a, a, a vehicle or a, 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 that God uses to speak his goodness. And when we release the words of the gospel, when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the power of God is released to people's lives so that when they are sick, they are healed. When they are broken, they can be made whole. It is the power of God, and it has to be spoken through the hearts and the mouth of those that he called. Can I get an amen? So there is a consistency. You see, and I could go in and I could back this theology over and over again. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be what? Witnesses for me. Every time there is a power and authority is always attached to us being on the go, proclaiming the gospel in the community that we live. And the people that we see. Why is that important? Because the gospel is the power of God to change lives. I believe in the gospel. The gospel changed my life. I believe in the gospel. I've seen it change lives over and over again. I can sit down and tell you stories. But I remember even as a teenager looking at my life and thinking that, oh my goodness, it looks like my life is ruined. Isn't that funny you could be a teenager and think that your life is over? You think, oh boy, this is all. And you think, boy, why did my family have to turn out this way? Why did things have to turn out this way? Maybe you've thought that before. 
And when I saw, when Jesus came into my life as a teenager, growing up in Nairobi, and I remember when I get, surrendered my life to him, when I, I invited him into my life, and there was a new sense of hope that came. And where God brings hope in every situation, opening doors that I would have never imagined in my wildest dreams would even be possible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. He says, if we have faith in God, nothing shall be impossible to those who believe. You might be here this morning and you think there are some situations that you find yourself in and you think, boy, there is no hope and you're about to give up. I love the prayer we prayed with Pastor Dustin earlier that I will never give up. If you're with Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're on the mountaintop or in the lowest valley. He says, if you continue to follow me, he says, I will be with you always till the end. You haven't seen the end yet. Amen. So now, um, uh, <clears throat> this uh, week, for those that are new, I'm just going to bring you up to speed. Um, uh, take it and leave it if you're not uh, members. Just some, we, we as a church, we have determined to make the Great Commission, what Christ gave to all his followers, a very important thing to us. That's why you see people like Sharon go out in Kenya and different ones like that. But we support missions. Um, uh, and we try to conduct our affairs at the church the very same way we conduct, uh, believers are instructed to conduct their financial affairs at home. In other words, like a, as a believer, God commands us to tithe. And what we do as a church, we make sure that at least 10%, I mean at least 10% of everything that comes into this church goes out to missions. It goes out. Just like at least... and I. You know, needs in home. Our tithes and offering take care of the needs we have here. And it's so funny how there's always something that you can take care of. I walked down back in the back and I, yesterday I just realized a new need that I didn't realize. I said, Pastor Dustin, how long has it been? How come I haven't noticed? Another expense. Another expense, you know, just to keep things running. And you know, that's the same way it is with our homes. It is. And so we could decide as a church, like, oh, well, everything we get, we're going to just make our place better and take care of everything and not take care of missions. We could decide that because we could never, there's never enough. There's never going to be enough to where you feel like, man, I am full. I, I, I don't want anything else. How many are at that, that place? It's like, man, you know, I've got enough money right now. I don't want nothing else. Just raise your hand because I need to talk to you after the service. <laughs> But the truth is, that is the case with the church as it is with us in our families. So what we do is remain faithful to the very end. We continue to commit. But as we do, it is never a waste. And so every six months, we do as Lincoln City Church, come together and talk about our missions. And last week, for those who are here, got a mission faith pledge. In fact, the ushers have more for those that didn't get it. In fact, just have not pass it to everyone. If you had one, you could return it later. If you don't have one... Um, um, if you didn't get one, then you'll have one. So they'll pass around if you see that. And so every six months, we do what we call our mission faith pledge, which helps us be able to raise money that we give towards mission. The reason we do a pledge for this is because all the people that we support overseas, um, uh, we, we are able to tell them a commitment, say, hey, this is what we expect from us. So they can plan accordingly as well. Now, <clears throat> you just, it just happened to be that this Sunday, and last Sunday is when we renew our mission commitment. 
Now, I am not going to dwell on it very much because the brochure talks a lot about it. But I want to touch on three things, how we look at uh, the Mission Faith Pledge and how it works. You know, when you make a pledge, you can make what I say a normal pledge. A normal pledge is just stating and giving an amount that you already know you have. That is going to be comfortable. And we make that commitment for six months. And after six months, we pray again and determine, what am I going to do the next six months? And oftentimes, we encourage you to challenge your faith and go higher. Normal pledge, you get any amount that you think, hey, I could keep this. I'm, uh, I could keep this and I'm able to do it. A normal pledge does not require any faith. I could go to the street and meet somebody that doesn't even believe in God. But if they believe in a cause and they decide, oh, I'm going to give this much towards this, it doesn't require faith to give a normal pledge. Now, a normal pledge is still good. It's still a pledge anyway. And so the commitment must be, must be um, met. But there is also a faith pledge. It's one that you say, God, I want you to challenge me. I want, I want, to, I want, to, I want to think outside the box. I want to stretch myself. I want to walk by faith where you're expecting God to use you in ways that you would have never done it of, like pocket change. David once said that I will never offer to my God a sacrifice that would cost me nothing. And a faith pledge is where it costs you something. Make it sacrificial. Cut something if you need to. Make, challenge yourself to go beyond the ordinary and get into a realm of faith, all right? That's what we encourage. And then there's emotional pledge. Emotional pledge is when you're excited about the moment. I want to do this, da, da, da. But there's nothing, there's no prayerful thought or commitment made. And so what happens when you're high, you give it. When you're low, psh, forget But we don't need to be emotional in our giving. We need to be strategic. We need to be intentional. We need to use it in faith. In fact, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I want my offering to mean something. I want my tithe to mean something. I want my giving to mean something. I want my ability to just come to church on Sunday to mean something. I pray this every day. It's so easy to just become, oh, I'm a Christian, and Christians go to church every Sunday, and you just do it out of tradition and not realize that God has something new and fresh every day for his son. I come and I ask God, I want something new. I don't want to just go to church and, and come out the same. I know that you have something new for me this morning. So pray, I pray every Sunday. I pray it every Sunday. I pray it today because I want God to do something new in me. I don't want to be stuck in religion. I want a thriving relationship in Jesus Christ. And you need to have that attitude also. Because yesterday is gone. Don't hang on to yesterday's uh, uh, glory. Today is a new day and God is doing a new thing in you. Amen? And that should be spoken into our relationship with people, our marriage. Hello? Can I get all the men say amen? Well, I said I love you at our wedding. You know, what else do you want to know? I already did that. We've got to keep it fresh and new. The same should be with our relationship with God. We've got to work at it. We're going to remind ourselves, don't get yourself stuck on religion and just doing the same thing. God, let God surprise you. Come to church with an expectation. God, what are you going to do today? And let God surprise you. I tell you, your Christian life will be so fulfilling if you live that way. The joy of the Lord will be your strength, the Bible says. You will be happy. Leaving the things behind, forgetting the past behind, and just celebrating the new. He's a God of new life. He says his mass is new every single morning. 
I'm driving to church this morning with my three healthy kids in the car. And, uh, and the song that was just playing on my iPod is like, oh, his mass is anew every morning. I was like, I asked, hey, what do you guys think what the mass is anew? What, what, what does it mean? You know, I just want to see. And it was a great conversation. Yeah, Judah knew exactly what he meant. But it's great to have those conversations. Okay, yesterday was gone. Today I received new mercies. It doesn't matter what I did. When I come to God today, I can expect for him to fully forgive me, to fully heal me, and I start with a clean plate. I thank the Lord for that. This is why I'm not God. Because my mercies are not new every morning. I might still remember if you wronged me yesterday. I'm like, oh man, that can. But God's not like that. He doesn't matter how, where you've been. The Bible says that a contrite spirit, a heart that is responsive towards him, God will never despise. You come humbly before your God, he will always accept you. Folks, that's the power of the gospel. Right there, that's the power of the gospel. That's the message of Jesus Christ. The love of God, the power of God that brings salvation. It turns a sinner into a saint. The worst of us will be the best of us. And God can do it in an instance as well. I was talking this week, uh, we were out in Kansas City for our pastor's conference and our fellowship, in our fellowship, and we were sitting down and there's new, this new pastor's there are about uh, younger pastors that just started a new church in, in Missouri. And we're talking about their stories. We had just met them this week. And we sat down and they're telling us their story. And it was so wonderful to hear. Because they got saved later. They're already into it. And you're looking at them. They're talking about their salvation story. And how angry she was. And how um, uh, he struggled with money. He, she got saved first. And got faith. And God just changed her life. And he goes, starts looking at her and thinking, something is different. She was so angry. She was always so angry. And something was happening in her heart. And he could not deny that there was something that God was doing. And their marriage was always a struggle. They were always fighting because, and you look at her, this sweet thing, angry? She does not look like it at all. Because, oh, you don't know. I was so defensive because of what my life had been until that point. I always had walls around me to defend myself. And so I trusted no one. Until this lady that she worked at a salon, this lady that she, a client, that always would talk to her about the Lord, always talk to her about the Lord. And she goes, I dodged her so many times, you wouldn't even believe it. And so one time, but she was a good tipper. So believers, be good tippers. You just never know. Or what you might do. <laughs> and so she keeps inviting her to her Bible study that she had in her home. Keep inviting her to the Bible study. And she goes, boy, I dodge, I dodge. And one time I like, oh, I better just go to get her out of my hair here. I'll just show up once and say, I did it. And something happened to her. She met the gospel. She came into an encounter of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God that brings salvation. It's the power of God that changes lives. And this hard-hearted person came to Jesus. And her husband would see what was going on. He had no one and nothing to do with going to church. Then he could not deny. Came. 
receive Christ. But what's funny is that even after he got saved, he says he struggled with money. She would write a 10% check every time and take it to the church. And he's thinking, if we don't pay our bills, I'm going to blame it on you. And so he's telling us, this is what I was struggling with. This is exactly where I was. And it took him a while to actually be able to give his money. But I'm looking at these people. They are pastors. They're pastoring a church. And I'm thinking, I said, what, what a great story. I said, you know, when I got saved, I was a teenager. And I thought, boy, why did I wait so long? I should have come to the Lord when I was two. I wasted all my life. You know, that's what I was thinking. I wasted all my life. I was 16. Why shouldn't I come to Christ sooner? But that's what you feel when you come to Christ. And so sometimes, um, uh, uh, I said, so sometimes when, and my wife was a pastor's daughter. She got saved when she was two. So sometimes people, and I was like, sometimes people see you uh, maybe as a pastor and think, well, you came to Christ when you're young. You didn't have to go through these things that I had to go through. So my life is different from you and all that. And na, 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 na. But this is, these are guys that came later. And the same gospel that t- saved a teenager in Nairobi, Kenya, is the same gospel that touched these people in Missouri, in the USA. The same Jesus that transformed their lives, the same Jesus. When we talk, I can hear that. And I tell you, even when you're a believer, it never says that you will get uh, your life given in a platter and it's going to be all rosy all the time. If you are preached to that gospel, you need to get a refund. Because it says, when you go through the waters, I will be with you. Even though th- I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you go through it, he's with you. Attach again to the Great Commission. When you do this, yes, I will be with you to the very end. Jesus said, in this world you will see trouble. You will. So when they mock you and say, where is your God when you're going through trouble? No, hey, hey, he didn't say I wouldn't go through trouble. He said, in this world you will go through trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So looking at the passage we read, I thought I'd give you a few thoughts from, I tell you, there was probably 20. But I know my reputation. If I had 20 points, you guys would be here until tomorrow. It'd be like, yeah, time for work, people. But, so I decided I'm going to just get a four today. Now, you guys owe me a cup of coffee. I'm only doing four. And I tell you, I had 20 points here. So, let's say you're good, Pastor Saul. You're good. Thanks. I want to go watch the Spurs. That's the reason. I want to watch the basketball tonight. No, I'm kidding. There's another motivation. No. But anyway, I thought, what about the life that we're living now? Because we see all this, all cool, that's all cool. Let's go out and preach the gospel. Let's go make everybody a disciple of Jesus. Let's go out to the streets in Lincoln. Let's do all these things and get everybody saved and bring him to the kingdom of God. Yes, I'm in on Sunday and when we leave the doors, another reality begins. And Jesus was addressing those realities. I want to kind of focus on a few things. He tells them this. Now you would think this is so unlike Jesus. 
Listen to this verse here. He says, when you go out there into the town places and all that, don't, take, uh, don't, uh, don't stop and greet anyone on the road. Man, what Jesus is this? Is this Jesus of Nazareth or the other Jesus? Don't stop and greet anyone on the road. If those who live there... So when you think about it, it's like, that doesn't seem like Jesus. Don't talk to anyone. I think you need to look at the context of what Jesus was trying to say. Focus. Don't get distracted because once you purpose your heart to go, distractions will come. They may come in the name of people. They may come in the name of four kids sick and wives sick at home. It says, be careful to keep focus at the mission. And I think that's what Jesus was speaking here. He wasn't being, oh, be antisocial. Hey, great. Then the guy that never talks to anyone will get me saved. Great. That's awesome. That's not what he was talking about. It's, we easily get distracted. Now, why do we get easily distracted? Because Satan is at work all the time. And he does not want to see anybody come to Christ. His judgment has already been made. When the trumpet sounds, he's going to be executed. He knows where he's spending eternity. And he wants to take as many with him as possible. So there's a spiritual battle that you need to be aware of that Satan doesn't want people to hear the gospel. Another thing that I, want, I, I wanted to point out here a second, he says that we are always to bless but never impose. We are always to bless and never impose. So he tells them, when you go into the community and you go into a town or a city or a place and they reject you, don't start up a good debate. There are some debates you will never win. And even if you did win, yeah, great. I won the debate, but nothing happened. Great. What an achievement. But he's saying this, that as you go, that there are people that will not receive your message. And he says, that's all cool. That's fine. Leave that to God. You do your part. But he says, when they reject you, you wash your hands and take your blessing back with you. What is Jesus saying? When we share, when we are faithful in our lives to share the gospel, it is a win-win situation. When they come to Christ, praise the Lord, one more soul added to the kingdom. They're going to heaven, spending eternity with Jesus Christ. If they reject it, guess what? The blessing comes back to you. How many will take a little blessing here and there? The responsibility is not on you. The res- God's saying, hey, that, that's my job as to what happened. But don't get yourself caught up into stupid arguments with people because it's not going to change anything if their heart's closed. But in going, you will find people that are ready. They've been waiting for that just that very moment for someone to come. Amen. I told this story, but I'm going to repeat it again. I remember talking to a guy about four, week, four, four months ago. That uh, he told me that he's been going to church all his life and all that. And I asked him, you know, it just happened that he, we crossed paths and we were talking. And I said, you know, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? Have you ever? And he goes, nobody's ever asked me that question. It broke my heart. He had gone to church all his life. His father was working on stuff at a church in town. But nobody had asked him that, ever asked him that question. So Jesus is saying, you go, you never know who's just waiting for you. They reject us, like, no, that's cool. Leave it to God. But he says, hey, the blessing will come back to you. Why? Because you shared. 
Number three is saying that we need to trust God to provide. Trust God to provide. He says, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about everything that you take. No, 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 it's going to be okay. In fact, in it, you see that God's plan all along for those that go, that's why we support missionaries. I know, so Sharon can tell you a story 35 years ago when she left the United States the first time. She left a great job with great benefits, and she was very successful. But when God gave her that call to go to Kenya, she obeyed and she left all that. But those, there are people out there in the mission field, and they need our support. If we don't give, nobody gives them anything. And Jesus says, no, they, they are not to worry about their lives. We need to take care of them so that they can continue to do what they are called to do. I shared that we'll be planning a church in Crete in the very near future. It's going to take people going out there. Maybe it's you. Now you're looking at it. Don't look at me too long here. But you know, when it's God's doing, he's going to provide. When we have faith and when we pray, God's going to do some things. There are people in Crete that need the Lord. They need a thriving church where they can be nurtured and grow in their relationship with God. Amen. I'm going to be a part of launching a new work there. So he says, trust God. Now, I want to connect it to another story when I come near the close here. There is a time that Jesus talked about, <clears throat> about putting God first. He says, do not worry about your life. Okay? Do not worry about your life, what you would eat, what you would drink, what you would wear. He says, the Gentiles pass over these things. They worry. They think about this stuff a lot. But your heavenly father already knows the things that you need. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know that scripture? Are you familiar with it? What's the kingdom of God? The gospel. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see Jesus' ministry on the three years that he ministered on the planet. He always preached one thing, one message, one message only. What was it? The kingdom of God. It wasn't a trick question. It's just exactly what you thought. He preached the kingdom of God. He gave stories all the time. Now, let me tell you what is like the kingdom of God. This gospel of the kingdom of God. So, really, God's heart is about the kingdom. I want to submit to you a statement that I believe to be true. And the more I look at this, the more convinced I am. That God's most important thing the thing that God gets God's attention the most is to see sinners come to the cross. People being reconciled with God. People far from God coming close to God. In fact, it says that even one person warrants a celebration in heaven. That's how important it is for God. And so if we concern ourselves with what matters to God, God says, I got your back. I know what you need. You're not making up this stuff. I know. God, but but you, do you, have you checked my bank account lately, Lord? Have you logged on to it lately? Because no, I know it. I understand. And it's not illegitimate. Your need is not illegitimate. It means something to me. But it says, why don't we get our priorities right? And concern ourselves with the kingdom of God. Because these things that you need, I already know you, got, you need it. And I will let them come to you. 
I'm standing here today to tell you that my life has been a testimony of that. One of the biggest concerns I had as a teenager when I came to Christ, it was actually about my career. I was a driven kid, never got a B in math, never in my life. I've never got B in math. All my grades in math were always A from first grade onwards to college. I've always had an A in math. But in Kenya, um, um, the, kid, uh, the high school is as expensive as college. In fact, sometimes they pay more in high school than they do in college. And during my teenage years, in high school years, my dad had gotten really bad. He had gotten, he was, he was an alcoholic. He started just drinking for fun. And at, one, at that stage in his life, he had just gotten to so far into alcohol, he was not paying attention to anything. And as kids, we are looking at it, and it seems like your future is dark. I was missing so many classes. I wasn't going to graduate even in high school. And I'm thinking, wow, this looks so horrible. And when I met the Lord, there was a hope in there. But I started to think, what would come off me when it comes to my career? And I was very driven. By the time I was, by the time I was 14 and 15, I, was, I played judo and wrestled. I wrestled to the national level. I was going to the Olympics. As the top of my class in my whole country. I'd been all over. I would have had scholarships all over the place. But then it felt like my future is just came down crashing. Because I couldn't be in class. I mastered on the outside. Nobody knew I was struggling with that. How fearful and how concerned I was about my life. My friends, I was always a cool kid. I was always popular. But inside, I was very fearful, absolutely terrified about my future. And I got involved in a church that what I'm preaching to you today about just winning souls and working the kingdom, small groups. I met really good friends there. And hope started coming. All my siblings would come to the Lord. Our parents will see the changes and how amazing these kids were. When kids, and I've said this over and again, when other kids want to go parties and all that, we were wanting to go to Bible study and small group and go witnessing and go, we were wanting to do God things. And some kids that were getting saved even from other churches, parents will be upset because they'll be get denied communion at their church because their kids are going to church. But you're thinking, do you know what your kids were doing before? Because sometimes we get caught up with religion. And so when we started seeing our parents come to the Lord, my dad got delivered from uh, the bondage of alcohol. He died three years ago, but he knew the Lord. His last days were better than the past. I know I'm going to see him. He didn't run a great race most of his life, but he finished great. He finished great. And in the middle of a great depression in the 90s, we went through great depression in the decades of the 90s. Unemployment for young people was over 80%. You graduate from college, you get a master's degree, and you know you're going to be home for a while without a job. I educated myself. And God opened doors of opportunity. I got a great job in the middle of all that. 
where I learned a lot and I did a lot. It's like I'm looking back, it's like, what happened? And I wasn't thinking about it. There's a time my concern became the concern of God. I was involved in church and small groups and different things like that at the church. I didn't have time to think about my future. But it was in those moments that God would connect me with something. Say, hey, I got something right for you. And somebody at the, that I knew from the church got me into a company and says, hey, interview this young man. You're, gonna, you're not going to regret it. And just right there, God opens the door of opportunity. And I grew, and I grew a career. I went into management, and it's like, and you're looking 10, 15 years later, thinking, wow, how amazing things can change in just a short amount of time. What, do I, what am I trying to tell you? The same Jesus that said, do not concern yourself about your everyday affairs, about what you will eat or drink or whatever. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I've given you authority, power. All these things will follow you as you go and preach the gospel. I think I made my last point, which he says to them, don't get all excited. They come excited because they didn't expect such things to happen through them. This was the 70, not the 12, even the 12. All they had seen up until this point is Jesus doing all these amazing miracles. But when they obeyed the call to go, they were shocked. Lord! We were laying hands on people and they're getting healed. Me, me, exactly me. Not you, I did it. And guess what? Even demons, demons tremble when we speak in your name. Lord, we did it. And Jesus says, yeah, (laughs) yeah. You ought to expect that. You ought to expect that because I've given you authority. That same authority has been given to you and me. Not for pastors and preachers and the 12 disciples. Every person that comes to Jesus Christ is given that same authority. But say, do not rejoice because demons obey you. But rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Never lose sight of the greatest miracle. And that is the miracle of salvation. When a sinner comes to God with a sincere heart and they are changed into a saint. Can I get an amen? You might be here this morning and you haven't even given Jesus your heart. And today the miracle, the greatest miracle can happen in your life before we leave today. Even though you get authority to do some marvelous stuff. Oh, it says you need to rejoice because you know when you leave this place, you know that your name is written in heaven. Amen. Let's stand up and worship God. How many receive that today? So God knows what you need. He watches your back. But more importantly, he wants us to be assured about the greatest miracle. And that's the miracle of salvation. But we are instruments to bring that to other people. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, lift up our hands, our voices towards God. We just ask you, Lord, to touch our lives. We thank you for the amazing love that you have shown us. You have shown us amazing love. That you demonstrated your own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, we bless you, we ask you to fill our hearts afresh today. Every place where we feel discouraged, every place where we feel fearful, every place where there are concerns in our lives, we lay it at your foot today. And Father, we want to concern ourselves and concern our lives with that which concerns you. 
that every soul, every man, every woman in Lincoln, Nebraska, that does not know you, those that they will come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. As we continue to pray right now, you might be here in this room. I want every eye closed in in the presence of God because I want to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus into your life. He wants to give you a brand new life. He wants to give you a new beginning. You want a fresh start with God. This is your time. You need to rejoice. You need to have that assurance today that your name is written in heaven. And I'm going to pray a special prayer for you if you want to give Jesus your heart today and your life. I want you to raise your hand because I'm watching and I'm going to see because I want to pray a special prayer. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anybody else you want to give? And maybe you've known God before. You've known Jesus before. But right now in your life, you're not walking with him. You just want to say, Lord, I want to return home. I want to start afresh. I want a new start with you, God. If that's you, I want to give you one more moment and then I'm going to pray. Just show me by your hand so I can see you because I want to pray for you. You need to go home rejoicing today, knowing that your name is written in heaven. All right. Thank you. I am going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to just pray after me. Church, join me in this prayer with those that raise their hand. Pray with your heart. Pray sincerely before God. Father, in Jesus' name, name, I come to you today. I come to you today. Just as I am. Just as I am. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. To die on the cross for my sin. To die on the cross for my sin. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And come into my life. And come into my life. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my heart. To be my Lord and my Savior. To be my Lord and my Savior. And today I commit to you. And today I commit to you. My life. My life. Give me a fresh start. Give me a fresh start. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes, you can clap right now. You can clap right now. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Yes, yes, oh God. I want to tell you what just happened. It's a simple prayer. But every sincere prayer God meets with an open heart. Your name today has been recorded in heaven. The prayer you prayed has been recorded in heaven. So you can rejoice in heaven because it's been done. The Bible says that when one person comes to Christ, that the angels of God in heaven rejoice. I think Lincoln City Church can join the angels in heaven today and rejoice. Hallelujah! Amen. Amen. 